Good morning. Happy July 9th to you. Um, I'm glad you guys are joining us this morning. If you're new to River Ridge, my name is Blair. I'm one of the pastors here. And I'm so glad you guys decided to join us and give us an hour of your time this morning. Um, if you are here for the first time in this series, we've started a series called The Dreamer. It's about the life of Joseph. And Joseph was from the uh, Old Testament period of the Bible where we look back. He's not Joseph, the uh, husband of, of Mary that we find out and that we learn about during Christmas time a lot. But he's Joseph, the son of Jacob, who's also known as Israel. And so a part of the family and the nation of Israel. Um, so, but during this series, we've been looking at his life and trying to figure out what, what we can find out about it, what we can see about it. But this great narrative that goes through the, through the book of Genesis, which just happens to be the first book of the Bible. And this morning, we're going to be in chapter 45. Um, but just to catch us up a little bit about this, Joseph's life is an amazing story. So if you're new to the series, here's, here's what's been going on. It's, he's a boy who, at some point, has these dreams about what his life is going to look like later down the future. He doesn't really understand them fully, but the dreams are about people bowing down to him, and not just any people, specifically his family. So his brothers, his mom, his dad, and so these dreams are indicated of, of, of something about them bowing down. And so they kind of take offense to this and get tired of hearing about this, and so eventually they get so fed up with him that they end up selling him to slave traders, and he ends up in Egypt away from everybody. While he's in Egypt as a slave, he kind of does really good. Everything he does ends up being really good. And so he keeps working himself up until finally he's at this place where he's kind of in, uh, with a man named Potiphar. He's one of his, his chief people there. But while he's there, Potiphar's wife gets the hots for him. And so she decides she wants some action with him. Now, Joseph, being a good guy, doesn't do anything about this. He's like, no, 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 stop that, stop that, and runs away. And when he runs away, she has a hold of his robe and, and takes it and says, and her ego gets so uh, upset and so frustrated that she decides to say that Joseph tried to sexually assault her. And so Potiphar, being a significant guy, gets really upset and obviously doesn't allow this to happen, so throws him in jail. While he's in jail there, a couple of other people come in there that he's responsible for taking care of. And these couple of guys are, are significant officials of Pharaoh, who is king of Egypt. Now, Egypt is the most powerful nation in the world at this point, and really, really, really uh, powerful man is Pharaoh. And while he's there, he had sent a couple of his officials there because something had happened, and he wanted to get to the bottom of it. Until he got the bottom of it, he was holding them in prison. While they're there, though, Joseph ends up interpreting some dreams for them. And so one of the guy's dreams is the cupbearer. And this cupbearer, who, who's an official of, of Pharaoh, uh, has this, this dream, Joseph interprets it, and it ends up being true. And, and the cupbearer, his dream is about him getting out of prison and back into his position and in the chief official uh, of, of Pharaoh. And so when he left, he, he had kind of mentioned that he would, he would tell Pharaoh about Joseph, and, but for two years he had forgot all about him. And so Joseph stayed in prison for the next couple of years there. Until at one point, Pharaoh has his own dreams, and nobody can tell him what the dreams mean, and he really, really wants to know, and the cupbearer is all of a sudden reminded of, there was this guy I knew when I was in prison who could interpret dreams. And so uh, he's like, to ask Joseph, and Joseph might be able to interpret this dream for you. And so Joseph does. He interprets Pharaoh's dream. And it's this crazy thing about what's going to happen over the next 14 years in the world. And in this Egypt, there's going to be a famine. 
or actually for the first seven years. So it's listed in two seven years. First seven years, there's going to be all kinds of food. There's going to be a great harvest. You're going to be able to take this. You're going to have what you need. And for the next seven years after that, though, there's going to be a massive famine. And famine that you have never seen before, where everything will die off. There will be no rain. There'll be no water. Everything is going to die off, and you're not going to have anything. Pharaoh agrees with Joseph and says, yeah, that's it. That's right. So much so that he even praises God who he doesn't believe in. And so much to the point that he pulls Joseph out of being a prisoner and instead gives him such a high position that he becomes number two in the land of Egypt only to Pharaoh himself. And so this is like being prime minister, but not just prime minister of anywhere. This is prime minister of the greatest, most powerful nation that existed in the world at this point. So while we're here, he, 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 he gets elevated to this position. And when he's there, as we saw over last week, if you were here, Andy talked about uh, these brothers who all of a sudden were coming, standing before this man who has power in order to get some food. See, the famine was so big. After two years, all of Israel had lost everything that they had, and they were going to die unless they got some food. And so Jacob sends off the brothers. They go to uh, Egypt. They beg before this man who has food and ask, can we buy some food? Not realizing that it's Joseph that they're talking to, not realizing it's their own brother. But Joseph recognizes them. He, he can hear their story. He'd heard what they said. Hey, we're, the, we're, the, we're 12 brothers uh, of a dad we have named Israel. Um, one of our brothers is back home. That's why only 10 of us are here, and one of our brothers died. And they didn't recognize Joseph because he's in Egyptian garb. He looks completely different. He's not got the long beard. He doesn't look like a Hebrew at all. And so they're, they're looking at him, and they're like, they don't, they don't see anything. They just see this really powerful man. And so Joseph runs them through some tests that we saw last week. And one of those tests that he runs them through is he gets them to bring Benjamin back after they'd been there for a little while and says, if you want me to give you food, you're going to need to bring back Benjamin with you so that I can prove that you're not lying, that this isn't some kind of spy. You're trying to be spies and figure out where we keep our food and try to steal it from us. And so they bring Benjamin back. Well, after a little bit of a test, they give him, they, he has one of his his servants stick a special cup that's his into one of their sacks of food. So he gives them more food to take back home. But he sticks this cup in there as a way to, to catch them. And so uh, they take off. They've got the food. They've got this cup in one of the sacks that they don't know it's in there. And they actually put it in Benjamin. So he's the youngest brother. And so then after they've taken off and gone off on their trip to try to go back to Canaan where they're from, uh, Joseph sends his service. He says, now go catch them. And go get that cup and go figure out who has that cup. And whoever has the cup, bring them back as my prisoner. And so he chases them down. They search all the way through all the bags, the all, all 11 brothers. They start with the oldest all the way to the youngest, who just happens to be Benjamin. And they find the cup, right? And so he's got the cup. Now, Joseph knows they didn't steal this cup because he's the one who had it put in there. But... He brings them back, takes them back, puts them in prison to kind of do this little, not necessarily prison, but, but holds Benjamin. Well, the other brothers, seeing what had happened, know that something is wrong, and they feel like finally God has caught up to us. God is going to pay us back for what we did to our brother Joseph, not knowing this whole time that this is Joseph that they're talking to, right? And so they, they come before Joseph again, 
saying, hey, 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 you can't take Benjamin. We did everything we could to get Benjamin here. You told us we had to bring Benjamin with us in order for us to get food. Uh, we know he didn't do this. We know he didn't do it for sure, but we've, we've done wrong, and we know that God has, has caught up to us now. And so as a result, we want to take his place. Judah says, his oldest brother says, let me take his place. I can't, let, I can't go back empty-handed. I can't let Benjamin stay here. I can't go back home if I do, without Benjamin, dad is going to die. He's going to be so caught up with his sorrow, so upset, so sad that he's going to die. And I can't do that. I'm not going to let that happen. Take me instead. So this is where we find ourselves uh, this morning. This is actually where we should find ourselves this morning. If you were here last week, Andy, Andy jumped into my, my, my time of the Bible here. He jumped right in and said, I'm just going to take these couple of verses. And I'm like, listen, all week before that, Andy had three chapters. Three chapters of Genesis to talk about. And he's like, I have no idea how I'm going to get through all this. I have no idea. And then for some reason, he decides to take three more verses, which I don't understand. But that's how excited he was to get to this place, right? And so you can take... Uh, joy or, or comfort in that, that Andy just couldn't hold on to anymore. He had to be able to do that. What's really funny about that is Andy picked who did the messages, so he could have just put me the week before and had this week, but no, instead he just decided he would take both of them a little bit there. So Andy, if you were here last week, let out a secret out of the bag there, but we'll still look at it for sure. But in my mind, we're at the place right here where Joseph is ready to right some wrongs, Right? These are some major things that have happened to him over, the, over his life. These aren't just little no-nos or little bad things. This isn't a brother giving a brother a noogie here or uh, kicking them or tripping them. They sold a human to other people. They were, they, they, they were in human trafficking, and not just any human. They sold their own brother. They took a person and they sold them. I think that's pretty significant. So, um, in my mind, here, here's what I want to see happen, right? I'm thinking through this, and here are the things that I want them to happen. I want to find this gotcha moment. And so when I read these passages, I, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it from my own mind right here. So I'm, I'm looking at it and seeing these things that Joseph is doing, giving him a test, right? He's giving him a test because he's setting them up to get them really good, right? That's the way I look at it. That's the way I would have done it. I would have said, all right, we're going to slow play this out so that when we get the exact right moment, I'll just boom and I gotcha kind of thing and really get them. But the whole series, we've been asking this question. We've been asking this question that says, what would someone do in their situation who knows for sure that God is with them? What does someone do who knows for sure that God is with them? See, because what I would have done here is figured out, how do I get them? How do I, how, how do I pay them back for what they did? I don't know what all that includes, but I, I can imagine a little bit of uh, jail time, maybe a little bit of uh, being a slave time. I've also been thinking through while we've been doing this series here, I've been trying to figure out, like we've, we've looked at the brothers a little bit, but I've, I've kind of wondered about Jacob. Like what is Joseph thinking about his dad at this point? Right? This was the dad that was supposed to love him a ton. And over the last 22 years, he didn't come looking for him at all. Like a, a dad that loves somebody comes and searches for me. He's got to figure out where I'm at. Why, why, why has he not come to find me? 
maybe he starts thinking he's in on it too. I, I, I have no idea because he, he doesn't know that the brothers had lied to Jacob about him and said that he was dead. So he has no idea what's been going on with Jacob during this time. Nobody watching this movie, though, play out. Nobody is watching this movie and looking at it and say, all right, just let the brothers go, right? If we were actually watching this movie play out on a movie screen, we're all rooting for Joseph here. We're all rooting that Joseph would, would stick it to him, right? We, we feel like these brothers deserve it. Not even just the brothers. I mean, the brothers definitely deserve it, but Potiphar's wife, I want her to at least get up in front of everybody and say, hey, I lied about him, he didn't do anything. Or Potiphar himself come and say, I'm sorry for putting you in jail. Or the cupbearer for come and say, hey, I, 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 didn't, I shouldn't have forgotten you. And, and we'd be okay with Joseph evening the score, right? We'd be okay with him saying, all right, well, just because you forgot me, you're going to spend two more years in jail too and feel like what it feels like to be forgotten. Because that's the place I, I feel like I want to do. I, I, I want to pay back. And we were all rooting for Liam Neeson's character in Taken, right? There's, there's no doubt about it. I've got this particular set of skills, and I'm going to use them on you. And I'm going to get my daughter back. Now, he gave them the opportunity, right, to get out of it. He's like, if you, if you return her, we'll be done. But if you don't, I'm coming to get you kind of thing. And we're all pretty excited about it, right, because he has that voice that makes us want to jump in with him. And if he could get his daughter back, that would be great. But if he could kill a few people on the way, that makes it a much better movie, right? And we're all rooting for him during this time, for sure. And that's the same way we are here with Joseph. We're rooting for Joseph because he's getting ready to restore things back the way they should be. At least that's what we feel like. And at least that's what I would do if I was in the situation. But Joseph sets up this thing where he does the test and he gets the Benjamin back. And we find out about the, uh, about the way Judah comes and, and says, we've been dealing with our own grief here. We, we have stuff to, to admit to. God has caught us and that's where we're at. So and this is where we're picking up the story in Genesis 45. So if you want to turn your Bibles there, that'd be great. We'll get over there. If you don't know where that's at, go to the table contents and then go one more page over because it's the first book of the Bible and look for that big number 45. Let me pray for us real quick as we open the Bible. God, you're good, you're wonderful, and you're incredible. And I know there's things about you, um, God, and yet I still uh, struggle to grasp all that you are. Uh, but God, as we look into your Bible and as we look uh, to see as you reveal yourself to us um, through, these, through these words. Help us to grasp them and understand them and help them penetrate our hearts in such a way that uh, makes lasting impact and life change. Help us to learn from the life of Joseph uh, as you use him. Amen. All right, so we're looking at Genesis 45. So let's read the first two verses here real quick. All right, it says, Then Joseph could not control himself before all those who stood by him, and he cried, make everybody go out from me. So no one stayed with him when Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And he wept aloud so that the Egyptians heard him, the ones he had just sent out to get out of the room. They'd heard him from the other rooms. And the household of Pharaoh heard him. Right? He just completely lost control here. This is, this is a man who, who has just sent everybody out of the room and just starts bawling, crying. 
I'm thinking about what the brothers must have been feeling like. They had to be thinking this guy's nuts or crazy, right? Like, what is going on here? Uh, Sir, are you okay? Uh, Maybe we should get him a tissue or a towel? I don't know. Uh, Maybe we get one of those servants back in. I, I don't really know what's going on here. And, and, but they had to feel something, and then, then he speaks, though. Check out what Joseph says here. And Joseph said to the brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. So the, for, for the first time, Joseph speaks to them. And, and, and if you notice, he just sent everybody out of the room. This whole time he's been speaking, he's been speaking through an interpreter. He's been speaking Egyptian. And all of a sudden, he flips and he speaks Hebrew. And two things that we see from that for sure is, is, is what he says. He says, I am Joseph, and is my father still alive? You ever had one of those surprises that just takes your breath completely away, like you have no ability to speak? Right? There's good ones of those, like when the, uh, the boyfriend starts getting down on one knee, and the girl sees what's going on here, and she's like, and he's waiting for an answer to his question, like, yes? Are you saying yes? You're not answering? But she's so frozen that she can't speak, and that's, that's the point. Or there's other times where you see those situations that, like, a, a soldier dad comes home from the military, right, or a soldier mom, and they surprise their child, and maybe they're the catcher in a baseball game or something like that, and they're throwing out, or dad is, or, or the soldier is, and they throw the pitch, and they open up their mask, and they show them who they are, and they're running to go see the catcher, and then realize... It's not just any catcher, it's dad, it's mom. And they're frozen at that moment because they're so excited about what's happened. And and that's what's going on here too, right? Like, hey, I'm your long-lost brother that you haven't seen in a while, right? They're so excited, caught up in the excitement of what's going on here that they're like, we have not seen you in 22 years. This is amazing. But I don't think it was that. I think it was closer to when Freddy Krueger comes back in the second movie, right? He's back. And they are frozen in fear. In fact, that that little, uh, for they were dismayed at his presence, that, that doesn't really give it the what it is. Uh, it sometimes gets translated, they were terrified at his face. And I can fully understand why that's where they would be, for sure. All right. The guilt that they'd been dealing with over the last bunch of years, over the last 22 years that we saw last week that, that Andy showed us, of, of watching their dad mourn the loss of, of his child, of his son. And, and I think that's all coming back, but I also think the terror of realizing what, who this is. Because this isn't just Joseph, the 17-year-old Joseph that they threw in a well and ended up selling in slavery. This is a powerful, powerful man right now. And they all know what they did, and they all know what they did to him. And so this is scary as it could possibly be right here. I really find the question interesting, though, too. Joseph asked him, is my father still alive? That's a, it's, it's weird because in the sense of they had just told him that the whole reason why we're here begging for Benjamin's life is that if we don't bring Benjamin back, dad is going to die of grief. So they knew. He, he knew that his dad was alive. So it's not a question of his dad is alive. It's something different about it. One of the things that's different about this one and the other times he'd ask about their dad is that all of a sudden he says, my father. Is my father still alive? 
So in Hebrew, for the first time, he declares, I'm Joseph, and is my father still alive? But just to clarify here, let's, let's read 4 and 5. 4 and 5 says, So Joseph said to his brothers, Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah. So Joseph said to his brothers, Come near to me, please. And they came near, and he said, I'm your brother Joseph. I'm your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me here before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will be neither plowing nor harvest. And God sent me here before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and so to keep you alive. We've been asking the same question all through the series. What does someone do in their current situation when they know that God is with them? The tables have turned here a little bit, right? They've completely flipped. See, every time we've asked that of Joseph before, he's either been a slave, he's been imprisoned, he's been falsely accused. But this time something's different about Joseph. See, Joseph has switched now and the tables have turned and where he's in power. So the question is the same, but the situation's a little bit different. Three times in this little section, though, we see some, some, some wording there that said, but God sent me, or and God sent me, I'm sorry, and God sent me. This is amazing because what we find here is a parallel truth. And in the first one that we look at, look at he says, you sold me here to Egypt, and God sent me here. What's really interesting about that is called a parallel truth. And it's something that I'm going to have a really difficult time explaining because it's so hard to understand. But I can't walk past it and not recognize that it's there because it's so significant. See, a lot of times we, we try to put these two things against each other. A parallel truth says two things can't be, can, can be different but be the same at the same time. So what we have here is human responsibility and divine sovereignty. Two things that seem like they're conflicting with each other, but in all reality, they're working the same direction. Human responsibility says that the choices I make have effects, and they will make change, and they will cause something to happen. How we see that is, he says, you sold me here. Divine, or divine sovereignty is that God still had a plan that happened here. He said, you're responsible for me being enslaved. That happened you did it. So we have choices that we make that have ripple effects on our lives. When I was about two, my parents got divorced. And it had ripple effects on my life after that, for sure. I didn't grow up in a home that was stable, that had both parents. I didn't see both parents that often. And so I, I didn't grow up in that way, and it had ripple effects on me. And my parents made that choice, and, and they're responsible for that choice that they made. But at the same time, divine sovereignty still plays out. And God's plan continues even through the threads of human choices that we make. Listen, I have this incredible stepmom. Uh, I love her to pieces because of what she's done for me. Um, in a lot of ways, she has fought for me and fought for my family in the midst of her own battles and things that she has going on. She has played an instrumental part in the relationship of my dad with God in such a way that if it wasn't for her, that'd be some, she, he, he, he wouldn't have that same life. So I feel pretty comfortable 
and seeing that God had a part in that, that he, he knew that she needed to be in my life at some point or another. Did God tell my parents to get a divorce? No. That doesn't match up with the character that God has. That's not who he is. He's, he's saying faithful. He's true. He's right. But did he place my stepmom in my life? Yes. Did God tell Joseph's brothers to sell him into slavery? No way. That's not who God is. That's not his character. That's not the way he would do it. Did he tell the cupbearer to forget him? No. Did he tell Potiphar's wife to lie about him? No. But did he send him to Egypt? Yes. We see it here. He even, he even says so. Parallel truths that are going on at the exact same time that seem to be in conflict with each other but are actually working out towards God's plan in the end. But there is a clear reason on why Joseph is here, right? God sent me here to preserve life. I am here to save our family. I'm here at this place. See, uh, Joseph knew about a promise that God had made to his great-great-grandfather, Abraham, who said, I'll make you have children that number the stars in the sky. And I don't know how that's going to happen when a famine is going on that's getting ready to wipe out the people. But Joseph can look back on it and says, God sent me ahead to save the family. See, you guys don't understand. This has only been going on for two years. It's got five more years. You guys are going to die unless something is here that changes things and brings you out of the land of Canaan and brings you to a different place. And so God sent me ahead for this. You want to trace back the life of events that happened to Joseph to get him here? Look at this. This is insane. First, he was sold into slavery to a group of people who just happened to be going to Egypt. He ends up being the slave of Potiphar. Potiphar's wife is the one who accuses him of crime and gets him thrown into jail. This jail just happens to be the place that two important officials of Pharaoh come into and while they're there, they just happen to have a dream which just fits Joseph's skill set to be able to interpret dreams. Their dream is, is that one of them is going to get out and go back to and be reinstated as an official uh, under Pharaoh. He forgets him for two more years until Pharaoh has his own dream. And for some reason, Pharaoh has a dream that nobody else can interpret. But somehow, the official remembers Joseph in here that he, can remember, that he can interpret dreams that nobody else can, pulls him out to interpret Pharaoh's dream, interprets a dream that has to do over the next 14 years. Pharaoh sees him and says, this man's got something special. I'm going to elevate him to number two. I, to, to look at that, and to say that it all happened by chance seems a little laughable to me, almost. There are too many weird things that happen along the way. If you want to get to number two, you don't do it through going through slavery. Like, even if he wanted to be number two, this isn't the process for doing that. You go and you get your master's degree in business administration. Then you go with your resume and you go to Pharaoh and say, here, look what I can do kind of thing. And then you work your way from the bottom up, maybe but I don't think the bottom starts in slavery to somebody else way back down the road. So to look at this and not see the thread that's going on here, this is insane, because this is what we see. This is what it looks like to have the sovereignty of God continually working through the thread of our lives despite the human choices that we make along the way. 
So summarize the next couple of verses here so we can jump to the one. Uh, so they go back, um, and they go back and they get dad. Uh, they were told, go back and get dad, bring them all here. They go back and get dad and get everyone. They tell him who I, tell him who I am. Joseph says, do this, tell them who I am. Bring them to this plot of land that I've got set aside for you. It's perfect for being a shepherd. Uh, I'm going to make sure that you're provided for in every way. Everyone, dad, you guys, your kids, everybody, bring them all here, and I'm going to take care of them. And I want to jump down to verse 14 because I think it's really significant. Then he fell upon his brothers, Benjamin's neck, and wept, and Benjamin wept on his neck. And he kissed all the brothers and wept upon them. After that, his brothers talked with him. Man, we got a bunch of wet necks right here. That's kind of funny looking. But Benjamin we get, right? Benjamin we understand. He didn't do anything wrong. Like, that makes sense, right? I get that. I, I get why he's weeping and hugging him. But then it says he, he weeps on all the brothers. He kisses all the brothers and wept on them. And then he had to talk with his brothers afterwards. See, this is something different here. This is something a little bit different because of the fact that I feel like in a lot of cases when we get a job to do, whether we like the people around us, some of us will just push through and get the job done, right? If the job is for Joseph to save the people of Israel by being there, he's going to stick through and make it happen, right? He does things and he gets them done. But this says something different in what happened. This is reconciliation, Right? This is what this looks like. Last week, Andy showed us how the brothers had finally came clean with what they had done. And Joseph had already heard it. Right? He heard them talking. They were speaking in Hebrew, thinking that Joseph didn't understand because he only spoke Egyptian to them. But he understood that they had already fessed up to what they had done. So he even knew about it. He realized that they had changed. See, they weren't going to leave Benjamin in the place where he was at, and they weren't going to let their father deal with the grief that had happened. See, they had dealt with a lot here. They were no longer jealous of Benjamin, and they even, maybe even forgave their father for the favoritism he had because they were looking past this. We don't even want dad to die. We don't want him to go through this. We won't want him to experience what this would be like if he loses Benjamin and he dies of grief. So you can see the brothers had started caring about these people, and they had changed in a different way. They were protecting Benjamin. They were protecting dad. And Joseph sees their change, and is ready to reveal himself, Right? Share his forgiveness with them, that he had already forgiven them, that we had seen in passages before. But now we're here, and there's something different, because this is, they are reconciled. See this? He kissed them, all his brothers, and he wept on them, and after that his brothers talked with him. But he tells them as they were leaving. So it gets over to Pharaoh. I'll sum that up real quick. He gets over to Pharaoh. Pharaoh hears about it. And he kind of confirms all that Joseph says. Yeah, give all this stuff. Make sure that the brothers, make sure the rest of the family gets back. Bring all of them here. Here, take some wagons if you want to. Uh, you can make it so that the kids don't even have to walk and the older people don't have to walk. I mean, you're going 200 miles. Just grab the stuff that you would grab if there was a fire, though. Don't even worry about the rest of it because I'm going to give you everything you need to to live here. And not just enough, I'm going to give you the best of what I got here so that you can enjoy it. Check out 24, though. I think this is really funny. <laughs> then he sent his brothers away, and as they departed, he said to them, do not quarrel on the way. Don't fight, right? There's a long journey back, and I think if you think about it, you can figure out what they wanted to talk about, right? Like Joseph had just forgiven them. This is the guy that we threw in prison, or that we sold a bunch of years ago. I don't understand. Why did you say we needed to, to, to kill him? 
What, what did he do that was so bad? But it was your fault that we even threw him into the, to the jail. And, and, I, and, and you're going to be the ha- one to have to tell dad that, it, that, that we lied. But I would have never, never done that if you wouldn't have told me this about him. So there's probably all this blaming ready to go on, right? Because everybody wants to blame each other for, for their part in this. And he says, don't fight about it. I want you to celebrate what's going on here. You've got good news to tell dad. You know, I'm alive. Uh, with that comes some bad news that you're going to have to tell him all about what you've done. But, but don't worry about that. I mean, over and over through this, he, he tells them, don't be angry with yourselves. Don't, don't be dismayed. Here, don't fight. Don't worry. He's not saying don't worry about it, but he's saying, hey, we're past it. This is something to celebrate. Recognize that God sent me here so that we could be saved, so that your people, the Israelites, will be saved, so that a remnant would survive this famine over the next five years. But we've been asking ourselves that question, what does someone do in the situation when they know God is with them? What does the situation look like here uh, when, when you have power, when you know that God is with you? So a couple of things that I think we can take from, from Joseph here. Uh, two, two quick ones here. First, believe in the sovereignty of God. See, the story of Joseph... This, there's this theme that runs all the way through Joseph's narrative. And it starts from the beginning to the end, and life operates on these two parallel planes. The life that we can see, that we can perceive, that we can, uh, from our own perspective, in time and place. And there's a second plane that goes on where God operates, where he knows the future, and he knows the outcomes, and he knows what's going to happen from it. As you think about events in your past uh, that caused you pain, they probably fall, you, you, you probably fall into one or two categories with these. The first category is, I get it, right? I can look back on the pain that's happened, and I can see how God used it to come to this place that I'm at. Joseph was at that place when we're looking right now. He could look over the whole life of, that he had and see, looking back at all the things that had happened, why he was in slavery, why he was in Egypt, why he was in Potiphar's house, why he was in jail, and why he interpreted it a dream. And he could look back and, and see what the point of them were. The further in the past it gets, the, the more likely it is that the event fits into the category, I get it. See, you have a longer and a larger perspective to look on and see how this plays out. The second category that's a painful event falls into would be the I don't get it. I don't understand why God allowed these things to happen. And if you're in the I don't get it category, if this is where you would say you are, I got three things, you know. First, be active and look for how God has used what happened. See, someone else meant this for bad, but God has a plan to make it good somehow. You got to look for the good inside of the pain somehow. And you might be in the group that believes God can't use me because of the scars that have happened as a result of that. Like these scars don't make me usable anymore. But I'd like to argue that I think it's probably because of those scars that God can use us. Like I think about AA, incredible ministry that affects people who have gone through this life of scars that they have, these wounds, these actions that they've had because of, because of what alcohol 
has done to them. And they can come alongside somebody who's new, who's, who's struggling with this right now with, for themselves. Or maybe, maybe you've lost a spouse and you don't know how to get up out of bed at this point. And somehow God has changed and healed you in such a way that doesn't really make sense that you still deal with the pain. But I got this scar now over it. And I can walk alongside somebody who is going through this now. The scars we have represent the areas uh, that God can use in the most dramatic way, right? In the lives of people who need us most. Second, we, we would say, you know, after being active looking for it, second, give time. It, it's probably going to take, take some time. The more distance we have, the greater perspective we'll have, right? So we can be active and look for it. We can give it time. Maybe in the moment we're in right now, we can't see how God can use this. But if we give it time, maybe we can look back. Like Joseph Abel would look back over all of that. And third, you may not know in this life why the event happened. Coming, coming to the point that Joseph came to, of being able to, to say, what you intend for bad, God, God did for good, may not happen until you can see God's whole perspective of it. And if you're in that situation right now, let me encourage you in this way is that many, many, many people in this room can look back on their life and see how the events happened, just like Joseph did. But it might take a little bit more time. Here's a second action we can do. First, we can um, see the, or, or recognize the God's sovereignty in it. The second one is that we can extend forgiveness. And we see that from Joseph. See, until we forgive that person, you know, the person that you're thinking of, that person, that person who did this, who caused all this pain in our lives, it's going to be pretty impossible to go forward in the future. It's going to be really difficult to, to, to move forward in that. And the wounds can't heal and become scars that God can use until we, get, until we can extend forgiveness. As often people, I frequently hear people say, ah, it's, I, I can forgive other people, but I can't forgive myself. So I can't forgive uh, the pain that I've caused in my own life. I can't forgive myself for that. I just never will. Or I can't forgive myself for the pain I caused in somebody else's life. And God doesn't separate here and just say, forgive other people. He says, forgive. And so, in a sense, we need to forgive ourselves in those same things so that we can move forward. And those, heals, those wounds can heal and become scars that God will use. There's a final category that's a little bit tougher to, to, to deal with, where we actually, uh, that it might not be other people might not be ourselves but it might be God and that we blame God for the things that have happened and it's a little trickier with God because we can't really extend forgiveness to God because God never does anything wrong but somehow we're blaming God and somehow we're saying it's his fault that this happened and we need to walk through that and we need to work through that and at some point it, it, it looks like basically the entire theme of Joseph's narrative where we trust that while we're in this pain, that God is the cause of the pain directly or indirectly, we believe that God is still sovereign, and we believe that God is in control. And we can say, I trust God, I love God, I believe God, I have faith in God. But where it really comes down to it is, do we trust him in the ultimate control of our lives to see how this plays out? Listen, Joseph had an incredible life. He really did. But he's really a foreshadowing of Jesus. Can you see this as you look over his life and see how this, this looks like Jesus? See, God was looking for a reconciliation too. 
Since the moment sin entered the world and the relationship was broken with man, he, he was looking for reconciliation. And it wasn't that God needed us. He didn't need us to fulfill any of his own needs. But it's because he loved us. And he knew about us. And he knew we needed him. And so from the very beginning of sin entered the world, God began his reconciliation plan with man. The entire Bible points to this time in history when he was going to send another person. When he was going to take someone from their home to a place that they didn't know and be a savior. And he was going to save them from some things that were there. And just like Joseph, he was going to be falsely accused. He was going to pay a penalty that he didn't deserve. But unlike Joseph, he did it very willingly. Check this out in, in John here, uh, John three sixteen, which, which seems to be the most well-known verse. But listen to these words. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So he's offering something here, and God offers it with him, and, and together they cre created this plan of reconciliation that looked like man was going to be separated from us, and something has to be changed in order for them to survive and live. And it's going to involve some... some major sacrifice. And willingly, he took this penalty upon himself and he got up on a cross and he died in order that relationship could be restored with man. So from all of history, you can look through the Bible and you can look at this theme and it runs all the way through. Like we can look at Joseph's narrative and see how God's sovereignty runs all the way through. You want to look at the whole of the Bible, you can see how from every different point in history, God was working out so that people could be reconnected with him because he knew that they would not be able to exist without him. And it tells us here that what that looks like is if you believe in him. So putting that trust in that, recognizing what he had done, what we needed. As a man, I have, I have some, some guilt, some things that I have done that sin. And the Bible tells me that that sin has separated me from my relationship with God. And that a penalty is due for that. And instead of us paying the penalty, instead of Joseph's brothers paying the penalty, Joseph paid it for them. Jesus wanted to pay that same penalty for us. And so he offers it. It says, if you believe in this life that I've offered you, then you can receive it, and you can have this life, and this life looks like back, being back in relationship with me. If you're interested in a step like that, and you want to figure out more of what this looks like to believe, I'd love for you to come get one of us and talk about it more. I, I don't know what, what the questions might be, and um, I can't say that I have all the answers, because I definitely don't, but I feel like we have some of the answers. And I'd love to walk alongside you and be a part of finding more of those answers out with you as you take these next steps in your journey with God, whatever they might be. So come grab me, Chad, whoever uh, up here. We'd love to talk more about with you. Let me pray for us real quick. God, you're incredible. You are great. You are awesome. Uh, and you're also so loving. And as we look at this and we look at the life of Joseph and see how it foreshadows 
your son Jesus and what he did. Uh, God, I pray for an opportunity to know more about what that looks like, uh, to understand what this word believe means so that I might be back and restored in a relationship with you, God. God, I pray that you would make that clear to us. Thank you for the point you went all the way to becoming man yourself and paying the penalty for us. Amen. Thank you guys for being here this week. I hope you have an incredible rest of the week. Uh, Enjoy your July 9. Love you guys. Have a great one.